There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Welcome to this week's edition of Next Steps Forward. I'm your host, Chris Meek. As always, it's great to have you with us again. Before we get started today, I want to take a moment to note the passing of retired Marine Lieutenant Colonel Justin Constantine, who was a guest on Next Steps Forward episode on June 29th, 2021. Lieutenant Colonel Constantine joined the Marine Corps while in law school at the University of Denver School of Law and served as a Judge Advocate General Officer for six years. As a reservist, he deployed Iraq in 2006 as a civil affairs team leader attached to an infantry battalion. During a combat patrol, Justin was shot in the head by a sniper. The original prognosis was that he had been killed in action, but thanks to risks taken by fellow Marines and a courageous Navy corpsman, he survived. He lost his sight in his right eye. With most of his teeth missing and the loss of part of his tongue, he could no longer speak perfectly clear, but he made his points with compelling clarity. He can no longer run because doctors removed bones from his legs to reconstruct his upper and lower jaws. And he suffered from the effects of post-traumatic stress and a traumatic brain injury. Yet despite all that, Justin Constantine was a presidential leadership scholar. He was named the champion of change for veterans by President Barack Obama. And he was one of the wounded warriors whose image was painted by President George W. Bush in his book, Portraits of Courage. In 2017, Justin received the Henry Viscardi Achievement Award for Shaping Attitudes raising awareness and improving the quality of life for people with disabilities. And the Veterans Advantage Hero Vet Award for significantly contributing to the veteran community through ongoing service and leadership. Justin Constantine was a patriot and a hero, an ordinary man who did extraordinary things in the face of almost insurmountable odds. Justin Constantine was a patriot, he was a friend to many, and inspiration to everyone who heard his story. Sadly, cancer claimed his life this past week. Justin Constantine, you'll be missed. You will. Our guest today is Crystal Romero. Master Sergeant Crystal Romero retired after serving 16 and a half years in the United States Army National Guard. She served full-time, providing active duty operational support, primarily in her home state of New Mexico. Today, she's an activist for veterans' causes and has had a significant role in passing legislation related to military sexual assault and veterans' mental health. We'll talk about those topics and more during this episode of Next Steps Forward. Crystal Romero, welcome to Next Steps Forward. <laughs> Thank you for having me. No, great to have you with us today. Crystal, you had a difficult childhood, which included abuse and time in the foster care system. I know that that's an uncomfortable subject, but it was also very formative to your life. Would you share your story of your early years up to the time when you became an emancipated minor at age 16? Thank you, Chris. And, and yes, it is an uncomfortable subject, but sometimes in order to move on with life, you have to get, you have to find comfort in the pain. And once you get comfortable, it doesn't hurt you anymore. And that's why I've decided to just hit the road and talk about it because there's a lot of folks out there that are still suffering in silence. Um, my difficult childhood goes a lot deeper for me than, um, than just me. My mother was 14 when she became pregnant with me and was a single mother in high school. But luckily for my mom, her high school principal not only helped her graduate, but he helped her raise me. And uh, that wonderful man's name is Jose G. Lucero. He was a sergeant during World War II and a Baton Death March survivor. Uh, he and his wife, Stella, baptized me and I became you know, their godchild. Uh, my mom wholeheartedly loved me and she did her best, but she was a child herself and a child who had come from trauma. So that's uh, pretty much why I fell victim to uh, sexual abuse at age eight, which I was too young to understand then. And again, at age 14, when I was trafficked to Colorado, but as tragic at all, as all that was, where I learned the most important lessons was that I learned that, you know what, that's never going to happen to me again. And it was um, at that point that I entered foster care and where I was kicked out. <laughs> I was kicked out of foster care for 
uh, stabbing my foster father in the shoulder with a fork because I walked in on him molesting my eight-year-old foster sister. And from there, I went into group homes where it's just survival of the fittest. There's no mercy on the streets. And I survived because I joined a gang. And ultimately, that was my protection until I emancipated at 16 and was able to kind of start putting my pieces of my life back together. You mentioned being trafficked to Colorado. How did that happen? And how'd you escape that situation? In 1983, chat rooms became real popular or, and, and more, uh, you know, more of them started popping up on the internet. So of course, as a curious teenager, I found a chat room about music and I was befriended by who I thought was a 16-year-old boy. Uh, he was very nice. He gave me compliments. I mean, it's a whole truckload of, of BS. But what he was doing was grooming me. And for those who don't know what grooming is, it's when someone presents a false persona to somebody uh, and tells them lies to lure them into a false sense of security so that you become vulnerable. And then when you become vulnerable, you start opening up and you start talking about things that are you know, bothering your life and all these things. And once they know that you feel safe, that's when the manipulation begins. And that's how he convinced me to steal money and buy a bus ticket to Colorado. Except when I got there, it was not a 16 year old boy, it was a 42 year old man. And I thought for sure I was gonna die. Once it registered in my head, you know, everything about that situation, it was, it was too late. And I was held uh, in a basement for days. It was actually, and it was weird, it was actually the, his sister's basement. It wasn't even his house, it was his sister's house. But um, I figured out how to pick the lock and get out. I don't know, maybe too much watching MacGyver as a kid, I don't know. But uh, I got out and I called my mom and her and my stepdad drove three hours to, to pick me up. But after that, my mental state was not stable at all. I was now a very angry teenager. And I was very reckless. I was, you know, I would act out, lie, steal, uh, skip school, uh, very self-destructive. And that's what led me to becoming a ward of the state. And that's when I entered the foster care system. Before the show, you and I were talking about our mutual friend uh, and great woman, Andy Berger. Could someone have figured out early on that you're being trafficked? You know, what are the signs of human trafficking? You know, is it ordinary citizens? How can you figure out who is or isn't being trafficked? Oh, man. Well, um, I think Andy did a way better job of, of explaining it than I will. But, in, but I'm actually excited to have, have met her because, um, you know, as I told you, I am, I am going to partner with her to, to, to tackle this issue. But, you know, I didn't have much online supervision from my mom. She, you know, had she monitored my usage, then I think that she would have seen that, you know, I was being groomed by someone because, you know, an, an adult brain is a lot more advanced than a 13 year old's brain. And, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, that's how it's like I said, that's how it starts. And if when I started having problems at home, you know, what I do, I get online and chat with my best friend. And uh, so he would kind of cause conflict you know he would initiate um these fights that i would have with my mom he in other words he would tell me stuff like oh well you know i would never treat you that way if if you know if it were me i would do this and so i'd get angry at my mom i'd be like yeah you're right so i'd go pick a fight with my mom and um that brainwashing was what helped him to acquire me because, you know, he didn't even have to physically kidnap me. He just convinced me to do it on my own. As far as um, what does, how to spot a trafficker, you know what, take a look around because it could be anybody. They look like you, they look like me, they look like uh, younger people because oftentimes um, younger kids are groomed to become, uh, you know, they, they're like, they're bait, you know, they go off and they recruit. Uh, it's a, it's a forty three billion dollar industry, and it's 
you know, it, it's, it's, it's very hard to tackle, which is why it's been going on forever. But um, if you do identify a perpetrator, the best thing to do is to be very tactful about it. You know, it's like, write down everything. If you see something, write it down, call the police right away. There's a, a national hotline that you can call, but you know, obviously not everybody knows that number, but call the police, call 911, write down as much as you can. The license plate, the car, what they look like, what they're wearing. If the if the kid, the child that's with them, if there's any identifying marks, bruises, if they look scared, you know, so a kid that's um, that's that's being trafficked, especially when it's at the beginning, they're terrified. And as an adult, I think you can identify what a what a scared child looks like. Has human trafficking gotten worse since, you know, maybe the 60s or 70s, as in more common or more violent, or are we just more aware of it today? <sighs> Women and children have been victims of sex trafficking for thousands of years. The, the practice has been going on for centuries, centuries, and finally, you know, it did, it did become a political issue in the 1900s, but it's very difficult as technology has gotten better. The pandemic did not help at all. The pandemic actually boosted those numbers. I think here in the U.S., the numbers went up by 96% because now um, there's more kids online because schools were closed. So now the kids are online and with very to little supervision because their parents are also online working, you know, working from home. So, um, you know, something my padrino told me is that evil is always ready for you. So you have to be ready, you have to be ahead, you have to stay ahead of it. And um, so one of the ways that people can protect their kids is be involved in every aspect of their life. I've got three daughters and I am a nosy mom. I am always all up in their business and they hate me for it now, but you know, I, it's my job to keep them safe. And if pissing them off is what does it, then that's, that's okay. Cause 20, 30 years from now, they're going to, they're going to thank me that, Hey mom, thank you for, you know, cause they're, when they get older, they're going to experience all those things, right? You, as an adult, you see evil, you see things happen. And so they're going to, they're going to see the world for what it really is. And, but they will be an adult. And they'll be very well matured so that they can, so that they know how to combat that. So educate your kids. And as soon as they're able to, to operate an electronic device that is linked to the web. People who aren't familiar with sexual abuse, especially child sexual abuse, often wonder why the victim doesn't just speak up and say something. Would you address that? And then in cases of human trafficking, there are other dynamics at work that keep the victims quiet. Can you talk about those dynamics as well, please? When you ask, why didn't you just leave? You're assuming that everyone has a place to go. And it's, it's such a privileged question because not everybody has some place to go, especially if you're a kid. You know, you're 14 years old, what are you gonna do, leave your parents? And what if, it's, what if your abuser's somebody you know? Um, plus you gotta think about the trauma and what it does to the brain. It takes an average of seven to 10 years to process that kind of abuse. I mean, just imagine what it does to your psyche and your self-esteem and how long it would take to undo that psychological warfare that's been done, which ultimately is the worst part. And victims will tell you that it's not the physical. It's, it, it's, the, it's, it's what they do to your mind, your body, your spirit. That's what takes so long to overcome. So in terms of traffickers, um, how, do, how do they keep their, their victims quiet? Oh, there, there's so many things. Uh, drugs. Um, drugs, they isolate you. In my case, I was locked up. I was locked in a basement. Manipulation, uh, physical abuse, threats on your life. There's, um, there, there's so many things that they can do. And, and these are masterminds. They're master manipulators. So sometimes all it takes is just them sweet talking to you and before you know it, you're just, they've got you. You and I spoke last week and a number of quotes from other people came to mind. The first is by Japanese writer, Haruki Murakami. When you come out of the storm, you won't be the same person who walked in. That's what the storm is all about. 
How are you different after those storms in your childhood and teen years? And obviously it can't be accomplished alone, but how can others become different, stronger, better when they go through the storms of abuse at the hands of others? I had a lot to overcome. And I think joining the military is what helped me to get my mind right. Because the whole point of, you know, when you join the military and you go to basic training, the whole point of them breaking you down is so that they can rebuild you. And they rebuild you in a way where you're mentally and physically stronger. And I really, I really wanted to get out of that life so badly that because that's not at all how I wanted my life to look like. So, you know, I wanted, I wanted to live like, I wanted to be a hero, like my padrino. I wanted to, I wanted to do good in the world. So I had to convince myself, hey, you've got two choices. You can stay on the streets and who knows what'll happen to you, or you can go to the military like you've always wanted, you know. So I kind of chose to stick with my dream. And I had a lot of, of, of really good leadership that provided opportunities for me so that I could rebuild myself. And that's exactly what I did. I, um, to answer about how others can become, you said, uh, different, stronger, better. Don't be ashamed of yourself. Seek professional help. There's a lot of stigma around people getting help. And I'm telling you right now, it is, it is, that is your survival tool because it, you'll, you'll learn how to cope with certain things so that you don't turn to drugs and alcohol. I mean, I, at any point in my life, I've had plenty of opportunities to become an alcoholic or a drug abuser. But, you know, I got to stay true to myself. And it's like, I don't know what I want for my life. You know, I've got, I've got too many adventures that I want to go on. So, uh, again, just don't be ashamed because you know what? The, the, the trauma that's happened to you is not your fault. And once you learn that, you're unstoppable. We chose Always March Forward for the title of today's podcast as a play on your birthday, which is March 4th. Would you take the story from here about why you joined the Army? Oh, man, I love this story. This, this story just never gets old. Um, when, when I was a little kid, I was probably like around eight or nine. My padrino would always tell me that I was born to be a soldier because of my birthday. I was born on March 4th and soldiers always march forward. And I believe that. And I am and will always be a soldier. So many kids who are victims of sexual, sexual or physical abuse would have given up or turned down a dark path. Did your life ever start to go down that dark path? You talked about alcohol, drugs, all those opportunities. Uh, I never, um, I never did alcohol and drugs, or at least not in a way where it, you know, I abused it or it became a habit. But my life has gone down a dark path many times, and. Chris, I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't give up because there's many times that I did give up. As a suicide attempt survivor, I can tell you exactly how I felt during those really dark times, uh, how alone I felt as a kid and as an adult. And I can tell you that um, you have to get to a really low point in your life to where you want to commit suicide or die by suicide, I should say. Um, that's a form of leaving. That's a form of running away. You're running away from the problem. That's a way of getting away from the problem. And overcoming that as a child, the military helped me do that because I went into the military as, you know, as a angry little kid, but I learned discipline. I learned respect. And, um, it's, 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 it's really what pulled me out of it, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of still going through a dark time now because I, you know, I've, I've spent the last 10 years of my life putting myself back together after facing the retaliation that I faced in the military, that psychological warfare is, was harder to overcome because it happened to me as an adult and it happened to me in an environment where I should have been protected. So, um, so yeah, I, I, dark paths all the time. Um, I have given up a few times, 
but you know what too um that just like a, a super quick story my padrino he told me this he shared this with me about his um about his service you know as a as a prisoner of war he he endured a lot of torture and he and uh some some battle buddies of his they were caught taking the firing pins out of um the rifles of the Japanese soldiers. And as punishment, the Japanese soldiers held him down and cut off his testicles and they made him watch. And the reason why he shared that story with me, even it's so personal and it, you know, it's, it, it's so awful is because he told me, he's like, you know what, there's going to be people in life that are going to try to take things from you. And you know, they took away something that gave him the ability to, to have children and quite frankly, something that makes him a man. But that didn't stop him from having kids because he's got me and six other godchildren, right? He's like, well, if I can't make them, I'll go, I'll find them. <laughs> and, um, and also he, he, he became an educator and a mentor, uh, you know, to, um, to other soldiers and to me and uh they never took away who he was and uh and that's i use that as a survival tool as well i think about that all the time like you know what my leadership you know they took away my career but they will never take away the fact that i am a leader of soldiers and i still mentor soldiers all the time so a few moments ago you talked about being true to yourself you know in your inner compass Obviously your Padrino was a role model, but you also had another role model and inspiration in the person of a female officer in your first unit. What was it about her that was so inspirational and what did she do to help further your army career and your personal development? Uh, my, my first unit assignment, my commander was a female. And um, you know, it actually, the, 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 the female thing goes back a little bit further. When I was in fifth grade, I was the pen pal for a female first lieutenant that was deployed to Operation Desert Storm. So that's really where a lot of inspiration came from, to, you know, that further validated my wanting to join the military. But when I got to my, after basic training in my advanced school, my, when I got to my first unit, my commander was a woman. And I remember, I still to this day, the conversations I had with her about like everything that I wanted to do. I'm like, I want to, you know, I, I enlisted as, and I went in as a, as an armorer and I worked in logistics, but I told her, I said, I really want to be a photographer. I, you know, I was at the time I was going to college. So I was, I was going to school for graphic design and I was like, and, and photography. And I said, I really want to do that. And it's, it's, especially as soon as I found out that there was photographers and combat photographers, I'm like, oh man, that's so badass. I want to do that. So she told me, she says, you know what? She says, don't be in a big hurry. She's like, you have you've got your whole life, but focus on, on, on getting, you know, getting acclimated to this environment. And, and after two minutes, then, um, I'm sorry, after two years, then you can apply to the public affairs detachment and, and, you know, and then carry on. And that is exactly what I did. So she was, she was a huge inspiration to me. We've been talking to Crystal Romero. We'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hear, just be you, a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show, hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we are back. I'm Chris Meek, host of Next Steps Forward. And we're with Army veteran and activist, Crystal Romero. Crystal, you became involved in the issue of military sexual assault awareness and prevention. What was your motivation to become involved? My motivation to get involved 10 years ago was that that was when I first discovered that we had such a huge problem in the military. In 2008, I believe, is when the the Army stood up the SHARP program, which is the sexual harassment um, response assault prevention program. I don't even know what what it is to be. But I went to this training and you know it was like 40 hours of of this monster that we have, you know, this this problem with sexual violence in our military. And that was just like astounding to me because I was like, what? Like that, because that was not my experience. So um at least not in the military. But I have experience. So I, I know what it does to the brain. I know what it does, you know, to your self-esteem, to every aspect of your life. So um, when I was appointed as the victim advocate for the sexual assault program, I took that to heart. Now, fast forward to 2020, I saw uh, Army Specialist Vanessa Guillen's face popped up on my timeline one day. And, oh man, I was, I was, I was, I was very triggered. I was triggered in a way that that kind of made me unstoppable because I was infuriated. I was infuriated at, with all the lies, all of it, every every part of it. Um, you know, the piss poor investigation, the disrespect to her family, all of it. And I thought, you know what? I'm not in the military anymore, but I kind of have a bigger voice now because I'm not in the military. I'm not bound by those, you know, rules and regulations. So I, I just, I took it to heart. I, I took to the streets. I watched other advocates. I studied, I studied them. I studied their speeches and I learned, I taught myself kind of how to be an advocate because I had never done advocacy work before. And, um, and my motivation is that our service members deserve better. They really do. You know, it's like, you know, people say, oh, well, you volunteer. Yeah, but it's a privilege to be in the military. It, it really is. Because the opportunities that you're afforded, you're never going to get that anywhere else. You've said that in your first unit, you felt like you had five dads and 17 brothers, and they were very <laughs> protective of you. The organization Protect Our Defenders cites statistics indicating approximately 38% of female military personnel and veterans have experienced military sexual trauma. Did you get the sense when you're in active duty that the numbers were that high? And was it something that was talked about or just kept quiet? I was 22 years old when I uh, was recruited to um, this unit of all men. There was, um, I never at any time though felt in danger. Never at any time did I feel unsafe or did they, you know, creep me out or, you know, make me uncomfortable. Uh, they, they very much protected me. And, 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 and like I told you before, and up until the point of when I went to that, training for the sexual assault program, I was completely unaware of how bad it was, you know, because like I said, that was not my experience, you know, and, but, but rather than, I guess, I guess that's where I can say that I know that men and women can serve together because I did it, right? I did it. And there's lots of other women who have had the same experience as me. Unfortunately, not everybody does, but um, yeah, I had 
I had the protection of, of, of men, but, you know, luckily for me, uh, the difference is that in my unit, there was men assigned and not monsters. And, and I'm grateful for that too, because imagine being assaulted by someone that you think of as like a father figure or like a brother figure, right? I mean, just think of how horrible that is. I just, I, I can't even wrap my head around it, to be honest with you. So um, I think I answered your question. <laughs> so we've touched a few times on your military career, you know, the, the positive with the female leader you had when you came on board, your unit now where you had 17 brothers. We didn't talk about how your career ended. And one thing you wanted to touch on today was on moral injury. Could you talk about moral injury and, and take it from there? Yeah. Um, and also, um, you know, reactive behavior. Uh, but, but one of the things, you know, what we know what the big difference is, the, big, the defining difference is leadership. If leadership is setting the example and leading by example, you're not going to have those behaviors. For example, my first, first sergeant at my WMD unit did not tolerate any disrespect or misconduct. None. When, when you see zero tolerance, it was zero tolerance. And, and where there's discipline, there's respect. And when there's respect, you won't have problems like harassment and assault. We feared disappointing him and, and feared him in a way of, we didn't, you know, we didn't want him to look down on us like, man, I thought you were better than that. And, um, you know, he held me to very, very high standards. And that's something that, you know, we hold all of our soldiers to very high standards. So, and that, that goes for, um, for both praise and punishment, but moral injury is when, um, I'll use the example of, you know, of what I went through, you know, I pointed out, I, I identified a problem and I pointed it out to my leadership and because they had personal relationships with the person involved and the person's family, they instead of doing the right thing and making the right decision and just fixing the situation, they ignored it, they turned a blind eye to it, and then they made my life a living hell. And, and that was so hard for me because I could not wrap my head around why, why is this happening? I trusted these people. You know, it goes back to when I said, you know, uh, about experiencing the dark times. I trusted these people. I respected them. I, I, I had high standards of them. I thought, man, you guys had an opportunity to do the right thing here and you chose to do the wrong thing. And that wrong decision led to a domino effect of other wrong things. Because by not supporting me, they weren't supporting the rest of our organization. And the younger uh, junior NCOs and younger generation, they see that. And, and you know, if, if, you're, if you're not leading by example, then you're part of the problem. And um, going against your own morals, you know, I was, I was reprimanded by a, by a colonel. He, he called me in his office. There was a, 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 another uh, Sergeant Major in the room and, and actually an Air Force Sergeant Major and because uh, I worked for a joint program and he stood there and yelled at me and told me that I was the most unprofessional NCO that he had ever met because I wouldn't lie on an evaluation that was coming up that was going to be conducted by, by National Guard Bureau. I was like, I'm not, I, I will not. And, you know, he yelling at me and telling me that I was unprofessional for that. I mean, that's like, that really does something to your head, you know, because then I had to like, I had to, I had to really think about that. Like, am I wrong for that? Am I wrong for not standing by my brothers, standing by my leadership, supporting them? And, uh, and now I'm like, no, I, I, I will not compromise my integrity because you guys can get your shit together basically. So, um, moral injury is when you're, you're having to face, you know, you're, you're, you're put in a position where you have to question yourself and your morals and um, 
and then be witness to leadership, people that you look up to making those wrong decisions and doing the wrong thing instead of the right thing. Well, knowing how excited you were for your career in the military, you know, you talked about being a, a combat photographer, going through this, you know, how did that make you feel? I mean, personal struggles, mental struggles, like you said, you're getting yelled at by a colonel for doing the moral right thing. How does that just weigh on you? You know, it wasn't even so much uh, their, you know, how they responded, right? How they responded was so disappointing. I mean, they were lying to me, I mean, just, just straight lying to my face. And um, when, when, my, when I was told I was being taken off of orders, when I was actually, when I was relieved, I was relieved three days after being told by Guard Bureau that I was doing a great job. Actually, you know, they praised me and said, you know, you're doing a great job. You, it's very clear that you have passion for this program. Um, but then three days later, I was relieved. And that, that, that's what derailed my career. And I thought, and all I could think of in that moment was how hard it took me to get there, right? How hard I worked to overcome all of my childhood trauma, uh, the challenges of, of being a woman in the military. You know, I didn't face a lot of harassment, honestly. Like I, like I told you, I didn't. Luckily, you know, I was lucky in that regard. But there's other challenges, right? Like I'm five feet tall. I'm five feet tall, 112 pounds. So when I have to keep up with men, it takes a toll on your body. Um, all the training that I attended, that, that's time away from my family. And I have a lot of training. I went to a lot of training. And um, so that hurt. That hurt really bad. And uh, I had to, it's like, okay, now I got to overcome this. And, you know, it's, and it's taking me, it's taking me 10 years to do that, but I'm stronger now for it. I'm better for it. And also I can use it as a tool, right? I can use it as a tool to teach leaders like moving forward. Hey, you have the power of life and death in your tongue. What do you want? Do you want good NCOs? Because if you build up your NCOs, they, we are their backbone. So do you want us strong? standing on our own two feet or do you want us buried under the ground? I mean, and it's really sad that my leadership would have rather have seen me buried under the ground than standing on my own two feet. But you know what? Those aren't leaders. Those are wolves in sheep's clothing. So, and there's lots of those everywhere, you know, just like with the sex trafficking stuff, master manipulators, there's evil everywhere. Last week's guest, Dr. Cliff Robertson, founded and leads the Warriors Refuge. It's a nonprofit organization in West Columbia, Texas, that provides shelter, counseling, resources, and training to veterans in need. He noted the strong link between mental health issues and veterans' homelessness. Studies show that 40% of homeless women veterans have faced military sexual trauma, and that veterans who have experienced military sexual trauma are more than twice as likely to experience homelessness. Can you connect the dots for us in terms of sexual assault, mental health issues, and homelessness in the veteran community? The mental impact of sexual assault in the military differs from civilian experiences because it's compounded by feelings of betrayal of those believed to be your comrade in arms or when the command, the command system fails to protect, you know, the victim. Um, you know, it's, it's like I said, it's like, um, it's, it's that psychological warfare. And a lot of people, if you don't have the tools to to help get yourself out of that mess, you turn to things to cope. You know, uh, I had a soldier who had turned to methamphetamines and heroin to cope with her rape. And I mean, you have to think about like, how bad does your life have to be where you turn to something so awful? And rape is, is, is awful. It's, it's horrible. It's, it's your, your, you are, um, You've been violated, you know, something's been taken away from you that you were not willing to give away. And um, it, it just goes back to psychological warfare and drugs and alcohol are the most likely, most likely used things that people use to cope. And when you get addicted to those things, your life will start getting farther and farther away from your goals because now you're doing whatever you can to get that fix. And 
you know, you lose your house, you lose your family, you lose trust. You know, you lose trust from your family. Your family won't want you around because they're like, well, is she going to steal from me? You know, or is he going to steal from me? So it, it just gets worse. And, um, and I think that if we don't really focus on, you know, what's making people fall in the water rather than pulling people out of the water, then we're, history is just going to keep repeating itself. And our homeless numbers are going to go up. Our suicide numbers are going to go up. Drug and alcohol abuse numbers are going to go up. It, it's a huge problem. And sexual assault is often the, you know, the catalyst for that. You've worked through the legislative system to make things better. Tell us about the legislation that you've advocated for and what the results have been. Um, in, in 2020, I, the I.M. Vanessa Guillen bill, uh, September of 2020, the I.M. Vanessa Guillen bill was introduced as a result of the brutal death of uh, Army Specialist Vanessa Guillen. And, um, you know, she didn't have the confidence in her chain of command and her death was a result of, of, of failures uh, on their on their behalf. So um, in June of 2021, it merged with the Military Justice Improvement and Increasing Prevention Act. And um, I have it actually summarized and I'm gonna read that because I don't wanna get it wrong. But in um, the act would transfer the decision to prosecute a service member under the military justice system for felony level non-military crimes, such as murder, rape, and domestic violence from commanders to military attorneys with significant trial experience. In other words, think of it this way. If you have a gunshot wound to the chest, are you going to go to a dentist? No, you're going to go to a, a certified surgeon who specializes in putting you, putting people back together that have been shot, wounded in any way. You're not gonna go to the dentist because in all actuality, that's not his lane. That's not his subject matter expertise. So taking this, um, taking that decision process out of the commander's hands and putting it in the hands of people that are trained professionals, that are trained and licensed in, in, in that field, was huge and it, and it would improve and it's going to improve um, the response on sexual assault, I, I think. Um, the second piece of legislation that I worked on was the Brandon Act. The Brandon Act is a suicide prevention bill that will afford service members to seek mental health treatment without uh, fear of retaliation and without fear of losing their careers. Uh, that bill was very near and dear to my heart because that's what happened to me. Uh, I self-referred myself to, into the hospital because I was I was exhausted, I was depressed, I was tired, and um, and I knew that I didn't want to hurt myself. But also, the the thoughts in my head were so heavy that you know I decided to self-refer myself. And as a result of me self-referring myself, I was referred for a mental health evaluation. And because I was having suicidal ideation they determined that I wasn't fit for duty and that's how I was discharged. I was discharged for PTSD due to a hostile work environment. So even though the Brandon Act has passed, it's now law, do you mm -hmm. feel that service members are taking advantage of that in terms of being able to raise their hand and say, hey, I need to talk to somebody? Or is it still, to your point, this fear of retaliation, you lose your security clearance, you lose your gun, you get a desk job. Is, have things changed even though there's law in, enacted now? No, unfortunately it hasn't. And it's gonna take a long time to, to fix that problem because there's still that stigma of you know the suck it up stigma, right? But I don't think what I don't think leadership understands is that they're creating their own problems. You know, that 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 goes back to that reactive behavior. You know, I I was never a disrespectful NCO. I was very, always very respectful. And, but when I was being disrespected by my leadership, you know, they were lying to me, stuff like that. I reacted, I reacted in a way I was, you know, I was, I was standing up for myself. And so, um, you know, they, they wanted me to quit because they had no cause. So they loaded more work on me and created this occupational phenomenon. And, um, it's kind of like 
you have nowhere to go. You have nowhere to nowhere no nowhere to to turn because every direction I went, you know, everybody was was scared to help me because of who was involved. And when you get to that point and you're all alone, and then you're all alone with yourself, that's bad. I don't know if you know who Chester from uh, Lincoln Park is. He actually passed away. He actually died by suicide, but he did an interview and he said that the most dangerous place is up here. And when you suffer from complex post-traumatic stress, you know, that's something that some, 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 some place that you don't want to ever be left alone unsupervised because uh, it's very quick to go down that dark path that we talked about. And that's what leads to, to suicides. And right now the military is, is, is struggling right now to, to get that momentum back, to get, to get the respect back um, and to get that discipline back. Because when you have good order and discipline, like things tend to work in a, you know, how they're supposed to. Why? Because everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. Nobody's doing what they're not supposed to do. And, 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 and the machine works. But when you're when there's key components missing, uh, respect, discipline, and uh, leadership, because if the commander isn't following the rules, why are you? You know, um, if if the first sergeant is not setting an example, he's teaching that bad behavior to his younger troops. So now, guess what? You're breeding a whole generation of of I don't want to say dirt bags, but dirt bags, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, it's a product of your own creation. So we, uh, we recently had uh, Alaska, I believe it was Alaska. They've had a, a, a large number of suicides in their unit and the army decided to, um, you know, to give them an identity and make it an airborne unit. And, and I thought, you know what, I mean, that's a good start. I think so, because, you know, when you have purpose, man, that nothing can stop you, right? You, you want to, you want to do better. You want to excel. And, um, but I think that it's up to the leadership to pour into those soldiers and build them up. I mean, you're leaders. That's what you're supposed to do. And until we start doing that, we're going to have these problems and it is getting worse instead of getting better. Vincent van Gogh, who was no stranger to despair, said, there is peace even in the storm. Where have you been able to find peace? <sighs> Finding comfort in the pain. You have to study it, learn about it, and process it, and manage it. You know, it is my responsibility to manage my demons, because I'm the one that has to face them every day. But once you do that, you're no longer afraid, and, and there's healing in that because you're no longer a prisoner to your own mind. And I'm able to find peace because I'm not afraid anymore. That fear is all gone. And along that same line, author Jody Patel wrote, you're going to meet two kinds of people in life. Some will find you in tranquility and leave you broken. Some will meet you in turmoil and lead you to serenity. You've talked about how you were met in tranquility and left broken. Who has met you in turmoil and led you to serenity? And how do they accomplish that? Well, you know, I've had to pick myself up a few times throughout my life, right? One or two, once or twice. One or two. <laughs> One or two. But, um, you know, I was always doing that. I was always picking myself up. And you, you know what? You can't do this alone. You, you, you cannot do this alone. Uh, I was able um, to acknowledge my broken heart. And for the first time, and that's because I found a program called Save a Warrior. Save a Warrior. Uh, is a nonprofit that helps veterans and first responders who suffer from suicide ideation. What they do, you know, their slogan is, we came back for you. And that's exactly what they did. You know, when, when I was left in, uh, what did you call it? Left in, left in turmoil or whatever. Left in turmoil, exactly. <laughs> I, was, I was left broken. You know, I was, I was abandoned. You know, I, I was left behind. And I needed someone to come back for me. I needed someone to help me. And the power of connection with other people like-minded and pe other people that are also broken. Um, you're able to, like I said, you, you, you learn about 
your mental illness, you study it, and you become an expert in your own mental illness. And now you are in charge and you, you can either use that for good or you can go back to feeling sorry for yourself. And I don't know about you, but I like feeling good. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what we're here for. Chris Romero, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the invite. No, so my pleasure. Me. Glad we were able to make it work. If you or someone you know has been a victim of rape, abuse, or incest, you can get help from RAIN, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. RAIN is the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization and operates the National Sexual Assault Hotline. That number is 1-800-656-HOPE. And its website is rann.org. That's rai2ns.org. Thank you for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. And thanks to all the talented people at the Voice America Network who give us this time on the Apartment Channel each week. I'm Chris Meek. For more details about upcoming shows and guests, please follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Chris Meek Public Figure and on Twitter at Chris Meek underscore USA. We'll be back next Tuesday, same time, same place with another leader from the world of business, politics, public policy, sports, or entertainment. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.